0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. All right, good morning, Mercy Culture. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Well, my name is Jasmine Wheeler. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Culture. And the vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. Uh, MC Connect is the way that we do that. It's the way that we teach our community to do that and the way we want to help other people do that as well. It's our membership process, but uh, we love that in the membership process, we're just teaching you how to connect with God. Uh, we're all learning the different ways that we connect with him the best and believe that it's all different for each and every one of us. Uh, and so when you know how you best connect with God, the chances are, you will connect with him. So we want to teach you how to do that and so you can go through that process. Uh, the Information is up on the screen, text connect to 59090. Um, we have the Justice Run Music Festival coming up super soon. October 29th, anybody running in the festival? Or in the, in the run? Go ahead and lift your hand, come on. Let's all stretch our hands and pray for them. I'm just kidding, it's going to be awesome. I know if you're running, it's because you're training I just want to give a word of wisdom. Don't try to do the run if you're not training. You'll end up like Pastor Steve. Um, I know he's not here right now, so he can't defend himself, but I heard he stopped and got like chicken or something in the middle of the run, something happened. I don't remember the details, but uh, just train (laughs) so you're not hanging out with Pastor Steve during the run somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I love you, Pastor Steve, wherever you are. Uh, We're going to jump in today Uh, text notes to the number on the screen. If you want to follow along with me, Uh, the main text for the day is Luke 23, 32 through 43. And it says this verse 32: Two others, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified one on his right and one on his left. Verse 39, and one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I came this morning to tell you that humility makes it easy to get into the presence of God. The title of today's message is Humble Yourself or Be Humbled. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you. We honor you. We just thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for coming We love your presence, Lord. We thank you that in your presence, lives are redeemed, lives are restored, things change, everything shifts when you come into the room. And so we just expect, we attach our faith to your presence today, Lord. Come and do what only you can do in the room. I thank you, Lord, that no one came here to hear me, but we all came to hear you this morning. So we just say, speak, Lord. Would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us eyes to see you and hearts that are tender to respond to you? Lord, give us your heart and your mind for humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen? All right, well, we're stepping into a new series called Easy. Uh, Pastor Landon launched it at the conference, uh, and it all comes from this scripture. It's Jesus speaking, which means it's red letters in the Bible. Uh, It's Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is easy, is light. If you haven't listened to this message from Church in the City, which was Sunday morning of the conference that we just had. Uh, you should go take a listen, it's on YouTube, go find it. Take a listen so you can get that message inside of you. Uh, and the other thing that's pretty cool is that we actually wrote a song uh, that carries this revelation and it called Easy, you saw the trailer for it a second ago or the preview or whatever you call it when it's a song. Uh, but you just saw that we're releasing the song on October 14th on all streaming platforms. So be sure to go check it out, share it with your friends and. I would encourage you, like, get the song, get the scripture on your lips. I don't know about you, but when Pastor Landon preached it, it offended my flesh. Was I the only one? I know I wasn't the only one. When he said it's easy in his presence, healing is easy in his presence, there was something in me that was offended. And I had to go to the Lord and be like, God, why is this word offensive to me? And God began to show me religion that's been in me in moments where people have taught me that it was hard. But the word of God says that his yoke is easy. And that his burden is light. And so uh, I I just encourage you, get it in you. Ask God about it. Ask him for his revelation about it. Ask him to speak to you about it personally so you don't war with this word for the entire series where it's going to be being taught. He wants to do it in you. Uh, And so this morning, we're going to talk about humility. And let me preface it with this. Uh, As I prayed into this Sunday's word, the Lord told me that this is what he wanted to release in the house this Sunday. Jesus, in that scripture that we just read, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble. That lets us know that there's much to be learned about humility if we're gonna walk in this easy revelation. Hey Chris, can you turn the monitors down just a little bit for me, thank you. And at Mercy Culture, we desire to say what God once said from this pulpit every single week. Uh, So we're asking him and then we just do our best to obey and if I'm really honest with you guys Authenticity is one of our values here. And so I'm just gonna be authentic with you I don't feel qualified to teach this message this morning Uh, Pride knocks every day with me sometimes multiple times a day and I still answered the door sometimes and I desire to get to a place to where I don't answer, but, but I understand that the knocking is inevitable for all of us. But what I'm thankful for is that we're in a house with leaders who are constantly pursuing humility, and I'm thankful that I get to learn from people like Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather and some of the amazing pastors in this church. Pastor Clay is one of those. Every time he leads, he leads with humility and with authenticity and Pastor Ryan, you guys remember the moment where she got up during the conference and she sang and she doesn't do that, but there was humility there in obeying God. So we have all of these amazing leaders in our house that are constantly pursuing humility that I want to be like. Uh, and and you know, Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather, they they have done such an amazing job demonstrating them uh, demonstrating this as the leaders of this house. I've never seen them or heard them take credit for anything God has done in this church. I've watched them repent in front of this congregation. I've watched them apologize to people behind the scenes. I've watched them get on their face and seek the Lord and ask him what pleases him. I've I've watched them submit to the God-ordained authority in their life, even when it was things that were uncomfortable for them to do. Uh, But but they are humble leaders. And I want to caution you, uh, as uh, more eyes are being brought to mercy culture, more people are looking in to see what God is doing, I want to caution you of one thing. Uh, Be careful of mistaking boldness for arrogance. Many people would call the Church of Acts arrogant in the way that they engage the religious and the governmental leaders, but the Word of God called it boldness that came from the Spirit of God. So I'm thankful for leaders who are both bold and humble. And I know they're not in the room right now, but can we just honor the pastors of this house, Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather, for their boldness and their humility. And so again, this morning, we're gonna talk about humility. Uh, but before we can get to humility, y'all know where this is going. We have to talk about pride. Y'all knew that that was coming. And some of y'all already just, I can just see y'all clenching right now. Like what's about to happen? Pride is described by Merriam-Webster as an exaggerated self-esteem or an exaggerated feeling of being better than others. And I can just hear some of you right now. I am better than others. I don't know if it's an exaggeration, like I'm just better. Like, I can, I can hear you right now. I just want you to know this word is for you. It's for you. I'm so happy you're here. Pride is mentioned over 200 times in the word of God. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, there are several different definitions or types of pride that are even listed. Pride was the sin of Satan. God hates pride. It's listed among the six things that the Lord says he hates in Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. First one on the list, a proud look. The Amplified describes it as the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. Pride is listed with the worst of sins. Mark seven verses 21 through ter- thir- 21 through 22. It says, "For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander and pride." Pride is listed amongst theft and murder and adultery and sexual immorality. Keep in mind that it's listed among the worst sins in our eyes. Pride is also considered to be, in light of it being listed with all of those, but it's considered to be the worst sin because it is the sin that keeps us from repenting of our sin. It's funny that the Pharisees... Seem to struggle with pride more than anyone else. and I don't know if you know this, but the Pharisees were the church folk. That means us. That means we are more at risk of struggling with pride than even some people in the world may be because we are the ones that have tasted his mercy. We're the ones that have tasted his goodness. And and true pride is when you can look Jesus and the sacrifice that he made in the face and say, I can do it on my own. And that's what we do because we know what has been paid for for us. So you can talk to somebody in the world and and they know that they're the worst. They know that they've sinned. They know that they're far from God. But if you look at somebody in the church and say, hey, I just see a little pride there, people get mad. It's like, no, that's not pride. I can't believe you. you don't even know me. Some of you are not laughing because you did it yesterday. But that's what we do in the church. It's this thought that we no longer need Jesus because of how long we've been with him. But the reality is the more that we know Jesus, the more we should be aware of our need for him. That's true humility. And my question for you this morning is this, when's the last time you found pride in yourself? If you see it in others more clearly than you can see it in yourself, I want you to know we found it this morning. And it's good, because you're here. and We're going to be fine. It's good. You're supposed to be here. For those of you who are like, no, nah, I don't think that's me. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not a prideful person. It's not in me at all. It never knocks on my door. I'm just going to give you a list of some practical examples of what pride can sound like. Pride sounds like The strong conviction that you're always better or smarter than everyone else in the room. Pride sounds like it's always someone else's fault. It's never my fault. It's the reason you can go to five different churches and it was always the church's fault, but never yours. Pride is... It sounds like always having to get the last word in the argument or in the conversation. Can a married person say amen? amen. I'm a newlywed, so I'm, I'm freshly learning this one. But it's interesting how in marriage we can look for pride in all these other areas of our life and then we go home and we don't realize that there's pride in our inability to find unity. In our inability to go low in a hard conversation because we want the last word in the conversation. Pride sounds like an inability to honor or celebrate others. Pride is, it sounds like needing credit for what God did even if it was done through you. Pride is making sure people know who you know. It's making sure that people get that that people get to see that photo where you and Pastor Landon were just standing next to each other. He was looking the other way, but you were standing there, so you have to let them know, you know. But you need people to know who you know, what meeting you just came out of, what rooms you've been invited to. Pride sounds like that. Pride sounds like an inability to receive feedback or correction that nobody can tell you nothing. That nobody can tell you what's happening, what they see. Nobody can give you feedback or correct you that no one can tell you no in your life. Pride sounds like self-preservation. It's when you decide to stop trusting people because you can do a better job protecting you than God can. And so you shut down authenticity and intimacy in relationships that are God-ordained because you've decided God's not going to protect me, so I need to protect myself and stay away from this friendship that's actually God-ordained. Pride sounds like self-preservation. Warning. Again, it's easier to detect pride in others than it is to protect it in ourselves or to detect it in ourselves, but none of us are exempt. It comes knocking at every single door. And we simply determine the response. Paul let us know in the word of God that a big part of the difficulty of the last days would be pride. He mentions pride four different times in four different ways in this passage. And it's 2 Timothy 3, verses one through five. Let's read it. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. avoid such people. I just wanna make you aware, again, there's four different times where Paul mentions pride in different ways just so that we all catch it. He calls, us, calls them lovers of self, proud, arrogant, and then swollen with conceit. Some of us think that because we go to church that we're exempt of pride. That because we sit in these pews and we have corporate encounters that pride never knocks for us that we're completely exempt of it. But Paul is making it very clear for us that somehow people in the last days will be able to operate in all the things on this list while also having the appearance of godliness. That's what he says. That that there's going to be a people in the last days that will have this whole list of things in their heart, in the place where people can't see it because it's just living in there but the appearance on the outside of godliness. But then he says that these people who have all these things that have the appearance of godliness, that in, that in reality, they're gonna be denying the power of God. And that word power there, Pastor Landon preached on it in the Gift, uh, the, the, the gift of the Spirit series a few months ago, and, and that word power, it means dunamis. Might, strength, or power through God's ability. It's him doing what we cannot do. I just want you to know that it's possible to live in the appearance of godliness without the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. You can look godly and reject what Jesus paid for you at the exact same time. He's letting us know that this is the lifestyle that if we choose to live it, it will reject the dunamis of God in our life. And that word denying that's used in that scripture is the same word that's used to describe when Peter denies Jesus. And we say that we never deny Jesus the way that Peter did, but when we deny the spirit of Jesus in the way Peter denied the man Jesus, we entertain pride in our lives. That's how we deny the spirit of Jesus is by entertaining pride in our lives. When we deny the spirit of Jesus, we deny his ability in our life. So that means that pride opposes God's ability in our life, which leads us to exchange his ability for our own weak ability. Pride is costly and you can't afford it. When Pastor Evelyn and I Moved to Fort Worth. We both moved here from Philly at the same time. And this was before I got married uh, to Connor, this man of God on the front row here. Before I got married, uh, Pastor Evelyn and I were roommates. And we were looking for an apartment when we got here. And uh, neither one of us had jobs for real. Like we were trying to figure out, we're just trying to obey God, you know. And we're looking for an apartment. And we get to this apartment, it's just real nice. We're like, oh, we're about to try this apartment out, see what's up, you know. So we go in and we didn't even make it to the, the actual apartment, like to look at it. We just went to like the office area and we start talking to the, this lady and she kind of looks us up and down a little bit and then she basically lets us know, you can't afford this apartment. Yeah, I can just, I hear, I hear the offense settling in the hearts in the room right now because we were offended. You know what I'm saying? Like me and Pastor Evan are like, you don't know us. You don't know, who, you don't know. You don't know us at all, you know? So we had a little, we had to step a little bit to the lady and we're like, well, how much are the apartments, ma'am? And she gave us the price of the apartment. And me and Pastor Evelyn were like, well, thank you so much, have a good day. We'll see you later, God bless you. And uh, we, rec- we recognized real quick that we couldn't afford it. And a lot of us entertain pride in our life because we don't know how much it costs. You have no idea that you can't afford it. And so you entertain it. But you need to know that pride will cost you. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your energy. It will cost you your money. It will cost you your friends. It will cost you your marriage. It costs you wisdom. It costs you opportunities. Pride is costly. And you must understand that you can't afford it. I remember this moment a few weeks ago. We were doing presbytery. And we were, it was the prophetic moment over the Braddocks and we were praying for them and Pastor, that that word got released about Scott uh, having fire under his feet and walking back and forth on the platform and that there was breakthrough that was going to happen as he did that. You guys remember that? Anybody in in the room with us then? And it was a powerful moment and Pastor Landon stepped out in boldness and he said, Uh, Right now, he just felt from the Lord, if you will run right now, some of you are going to get free from religion, and some of you, you're going to experience breakthrough in your family. Y'all remember that moment? So in that exact moment where he says, we need to run, I'm sitting right there on the front row, or standing on the front row, and I literally paused, and I started thinking. I'm like, am I going to run? Do I feel like running? I'm a little out of shape. How far do I have to run to activate this word? You know, like I was just really processing. And don't act like don't act like I'm the only one. I know all no. Yeah. I was really processing it. Yeah. I'm like, what outfit do I got on? Is this going to work? Like am I going to trip? You know, I, I had to fully process. But what happened is I delayed for about 10 seconds before I responded to what God was doing in the room. Pride The fear of man caused me to delay in my obedience. And my question for you is how long does your pride cause you to delay? How long have you withheld forgiveness because of your pride? How long has your friendship been damaged because of your pride? How long has that God-ordained relationship in your life suffered because of your pride? How long have you remained outside of obedience because of your pride? Pride causes us to delay. And our response to pride must be a violent pursuit of humility. And so the question is, what is humility? Webster's defines humility as thinking lowly of oneself or claiming little for oneself. Uh, Humble, humility, humiliated, all the different forms of that word are used over a hundred times in the word of God. My favorite definition of humility is that humility is comparing yourself to God, which results in seeing yourself rightly. How many of you know the moment you start looking at God? The moment you see him as he is, as the king of glory, that it brings a right relating to who you are. You start to see you more clearly when you can see how beautiful he is. So humility is comparing yourself to God. Humility is in operation. When you care more about being seen, when you care more about God being seen, felt, and heard through you, than you care about you being seen, felt, or heard. One of my greatest prayers for our community, for this worship community, is that we become, that we'd be an invisible team. That we'd lead worship in such a way that you guys forget that we're here. That Trey and Wendy and Morgan and the band that's up here suiting the presence of God, that when you leave today, that you don't think, oh wow, that Trey is awesome. That Wendy, that Morgan, that you think God came. I don't even remember who was leading worship. I don't know who was singing, but the king of glory came into the room. It's the reason we encourage our team to turn around and you see them standing in corners and turning their back to you. It's because we're fighting for humility. It's because we're fighting for his presence over the performance that knocks on our hearts every day. It's not because we don't know what else to do on the platform or we're awkward with our hands because we don't like. It's because we're fighting for humility. And I want you to know the greatest compliment that you could give this team is that I forgot you were there. One of the worst things you can do for our team is these seeds of pride being sown where you go up to one of the worship leaders and tell them, you know, you're really my favorite worship leader. None of the other ones know how to steward the presence of God, but you really got it figured out. Do you know that's not helpful for us? Did you know that the pursuit of humility in community is actually two-way? That we can pursue humility on our end, but if seeds of pride are being sown and thrown at us, that it makes it very difficult for us to fight for it? And so I want to be clear. What I'm not saying is don't celebrate or don't honor this community one of our values is celebration one of our values is honoring so i don't want us to swing to the other side of the pendulum and just be like well i can't compliment the worship team can never tell them nothing awesome like this is awkward this is not what, you don't have to be awkward don't be weird what i'm saying is what if the honor looks like hey god came today what if it looks like wow Thank you for stewarding his presence and humility. Thank you for not taking glory for yourself. Thank you for turning our direction to him today. What if it looks like that? Humility is the understanding that you received everything you have. That you have gained nothing on your own. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior or what sets you apart as special? What do you have that you did not receive from another? And if in fact you received it from God or someone else, why do you boast as if you had not received it but gained it by yourself? Paul is saying, why are you acting like you did it when you didn't, you didn't do it? Why do you desire credit and glory when it's his? Because he did it. You received it from him, the gift that you have, that ability to do the thing that you do that's so awesome. You didn't give it to you. God gave it to you. And there's this whole movement that's happening right now in culture where people are becoming obsessed with manifesting things in their own ability. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but people saying you can manifest your destiny, manifest your future. You can just do all these things and manifest what you're supposed to be doing in your life. And I just want you to know it's a trap. It's the opposite of humility, it is positioning yourself to take credit for everything you've been given. And so you're not supposed to be self made, you have a maker you have a maker. <laughs> humility is full submission and obedience to the Lord. One of the definitions of humility is actually have to submit. So humility is having to submit to the Lord, which means that God will often ask us to do things that offends our flesh or our will. But we should be thankful for those things because it helps us see what's really in our heart. There's this moment a few years ago, I was at this restaurant with some friends and I was just super stirred up in the spirit and excited about what God was doing. And so I'm like, we're about to go eat breakfast and we're going to pray for all these people, all this crazy stuff is about to happen. And we got there and sat down to eat and the Lord was like, eat your pancakes, chill. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm ready, but I'm chill, Lord, you know? And so I just relaxed, we ate our breakfast, had a good time, and as we got up and began to leave, we're about to walk out, and I hear the Lord say, stop and see if anyone needs healing in their back. So I'm like, all right, here we go, let's go, Lord, you know? There was a specific room that I felt like he was telling me to go and ask it in this restaurant. So I walk into this room, I'm all excited, I look in the room, and it's a bunch of senior people, seasoned saints, older people—a little Lowry's, little adobo—you know, like just older people. And um, I thought to myself, "Lord, you're setting me up for failure. They all need back healing." I don't really understand how this is going to work because, you know, they probably all need healing in their back, Lord. And so I just felt like he was setting me up for failure. And I was like, I don't want to do this. This is weird, you know. And so in one moment, I was excited to see God move. And literally in the next moment, I turned away and didn't obey God. and didn't do what he was asking me to do. And... I get in the car with my friends, and they don't know any of this that's happening. It's all happening in me, and, and we start to drive away, and the further away we get, the more convicted I feel. I just feel his conviction settling on me. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you didn't ever disobey. You know what I'm talking about? When you start getting further away, you're like, ooh, ooh okay, I'm going back, Lord. You know, like, And so I told, I told my friends, I need you to turn around. And they were like, well, why? And I'm like, don't ask questions, just turn around. Let's just go back to the restaurant. And so we get back to this restaurant, and I walk into the room, and now I'm excited because I repented. I turned from my evil ways, and now something crazy is going to happen, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. So I walk into the room, so, excuse me, does anybody need back healing? Anybody have pain in your back? Crickets. Nobody says a word. So I'm like, well, they're older. Maybe they didn't hear me. So I said, excuse me, anybody need healing in their back? Anybody got pain in the back? And this little old lady stood up and she says, young lady, we're fine. And she was irritated with me, genuinely irritated with me. And I just got so discouraged. I I walked away, just faded to black, you know, and got back in the car. And as I got in the car, when I sat down, uh, it was like the presence of God was waiting for me in my seat. He just rested on me. And I was just like, Lord, what is this? What's happening right now? And the Lord began to speak to me. And he told me. You were only willing to obey me with the terms that would make you look good. I only cared about obeying God if a crazy miracle happened. If a crazy healing happened, something wild happened in exchange for my obedience, then my obedience would be worth it. When obedience was never about the results. Obedience was always about intimacy with the Father. It was always just about He wants to do this with us, us wanting to do it with Him. It was just about simple obedience. And pride says obedience is never enough. Pride demands more. It's never okay with simple obedience humility is full submission and obedience to the lord no matter what and just some practical ways to pursue humility we gave you some, some ways where you can you can know what pride sounds like now we're going to give you some practical ways to pursue humility and number 1 is be quick to serve others The question is this, do you care more about others serving you and your calling or vision than you care about serving others or his house? Number two, be truthful, but don't exaggerate. Don't exaggerate. There was only 12 people at that Bible study, not 50. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, don't do it for the gram. Don't exaggerate for the gram. Be truthful of what God is saying, what he's doing. Number three, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Number four, do for others what was never done for you. Some of you have decided that you're not going to help somebody with their vision because nobody ever helped you with your vision. Some of you had decided I'm not gonna step into the fullness of my calling as a mother in the body of Christ because nobody ever mothered me. Humility is doing for others what was never done for you. Number five, honor and celebrate others often. Did you know that your inability to celebrate others could be pride? Some of you might be struggling with the thought that celebrating somebody else exposes what you're not doing. Humility is just celebrating and honoring others, even if you're not getting to do what they're doing yet. Even if you don't feel like you've made it to a certain place or whatever it is that God has called you to. Humility looks like no matter what, I'm celebrating and honoring what God is doing in other people because it's God and it's his assigned value for that person. Number six, stop name-dropping. I kind of hit it a second ago, but no one needs to know who you know or what rooms you've been in. Let me help you. If every time you get into a conversation with people and you start talking about ministry and what you're called to, and all of a sudden you just feel this itch to let them know who you know and the rooms that you were in, and the one time you... Grab the mic and shared the testimony that one time at that church that had thousands of people and you tell them you spoke at a church that had thousands of people but you just got the mic for 30 seconds and shared testimony like all that kind of stuff just you don't have to do that no one needs to know who you know no one needs to know the rooms that you've been in in fact it says that if you humble yourself that God will exalt you and he will make it clear what God has done in your life you don't have to do it for him Number seven, be quick to confess pride. Tell people when pride comes up in your heart, the people that you're running with, your spouse, your friends, tell them when pride comes up and you confess it quickly. Number eight, practice saying I'm sorry and I was wrong when the shoe fits. Come on, say it with me. I'm sorry. Some of you It's painful for some of you cramping up in your cheeks right now because you've never said it. Working muscles you've never worked. Come on, say it again. I'm sorry. All the spouses in the room where you've never ever heard your spouse say it before, you just felt that joy hit you, didn't you? Come on, let's say another one. Say, I was wrong. wrong. It's so good to be able to say it. It's one thing to be able to acknowledge in your heart when you messed up. It's another thing when you can actually say it out loud to somebody. What do you think keeps you from saying it out loud? You know what I'm saying? Like when you already know that you were wrong, but there's this little thing that's like, but I'm not gonna say it though. I know I was wrong, but I don't have to say it to nobody. You know, pride does that to us. Humility is, I can say this, I can be honest, because it's okay. It's okay. Number nine, put on the cloak of humility every day and ask God to help you feel when you come from under that cloak. Me and Dr. Vaughn got to have a beautiful conversation about this a few weeks ago. And I've just been studying it since we had this conversation, but uh, that phrase, dress yourselves in humility that Paul says in First Peter 5, uh, that phrase is a Greek verb that literally means to tie yourself up in humility. And it's the only time this phrase is used in the word of God. And it refers to this kind of cape that was worn by servants and by no one else but, but servants. It was a badge of servitude. So what I do every morning is after I put on, let me not say every morning because I'm exaggerating, some mornings, most mornings, a lot of mornings, not every morning, but most mornings when I'm with the Lord and I put on my full armor, the next thing I do is put on the cloak of humility. Dr. Vaughn actually has a piece of cloth that she has brought into her daily personal encounters with the Lord where she puts on an actual cloak in her time with the Lord. Some of you can do that if that's what you need in your daily personal encounters. But whatever the case, whether it's a physical one or it's something you do in the spirit every day, it's so important that you dress yourself in humility because humility looks good on you. It looks good on you. When you see somebody who's walking in humility, it's attractive. And in the same way, when you're around people that are prideful, that entertain pride in their life, you don't want to stay. You know what I'm saying? When you're around somebody that's just entertaining pride all the time, it's not attractive. You don't want to be around it. Did you know that God feels the same way? James 4, 6 says it like this. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In this scripture, we see the strong dichotomy between pride and humility. God has strikingly different responses to both. And he's giving us this clear contrast in this passage. It says that he opposes the proud. This word opposes. It means that God sets himself in battle position against pride. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a position where God has set himself up as in a battle against me. But that's what it says he does with pride. The beautiful thing is he's not set up in a battle position against you, but he's set up in a battle position against your pride. That that's what he's after In your life, another way of saying it is that pride makes you an enemy of God. In case you needed help counting the cost, the word says that it makes you an enemy of God, that he opposes pride. But it also says that God gives grace to the humble. And this word grace, the Greek word for it is charis. And what that word means is a leaning towards to share benefit. So to the degree that God fights pride is the degree that he leans towards humility. Every act of humility that you partake in is you leaning towards God, and that humility causes God to lean towards you. One of the definitions of humility is to be bowed or laid low or to be willing to stoop to any measure that's needed. I want you to know that that's why we raise our hands in worship. That's why we get on our knees. That's why we lay on our face, because it breaks pride in us. So many of us have lived lives where we submit ourselves to our body, where you let your physical body run the show. It is how sexual immorality and sexual sin can live in one of us. It's because our body is running the show. Our desire, our physical needs, we, we've allowed our physical body to lead. And, and it's, it's interesting because uh, it says that there's coming a day where there will be worshipers who worship God in spirit And in truth, I believe that this is painting a picture that we're not supposed to be led by our body, but we're supposed to be led by the spirit of Jesus that's inside of us, which means that our body has to follow suit with what God is doing inside of us. Some of you wait to raise your hands in a worship. You wait to run. You wait to jump until you feel like it. Until you feel like God came into the room, until you get chill bumps or whatever it is, it's it's it's. we treat our bodies as though our praise has to be just a response to something that happens in the room. But your praise, your physical body is supposed to be responding to the nature and the character of God, which is always good. Which means at any moment in the day, those hands go up. At any moment in worship, those knees hit the ground because it's not about waiting until something happens. It's that we have a choice to give him the physical response with our bodies. (laughs) Humility helps us to get into the presence of God. We go low so that we can come into his presence. It's the reason when the whole room, when all of us lift our hands out of choice, there's this unity that hits the room sometimes and it's like his presence just rides in the room. It's because humility is in the room. A bunch of people saying, God, you're greater than my physical body. And he begins to come into the room in such a beautiful way. So I often check my, my heart for pride when I'm struggling to connect with God. Last week was one of those moments for me. I'm just going to be super authentic with you guys. Uh, Sean White was here and he was telling everybody to take a lap around the building and that there was going to be this, this impartation of joy that was going to happen. Everybody was dancing and crazy stuff was going on. And What you didn't know is that I was up here during that moment. I was, leading, I was the set leader for, the, for that week and I was just having this moment where I was like, all this is happening, but Lord, I'm not connecting with you. I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't find you right now. I can't find you in this joy. And so I was like, Lord, what is it? What's here? And he began to show me. I spent the first five to 10 minutes of that whole moment processing something. I was thinking about how I had these like boots on that had like a couple inches on them, you know? And uh, all the women in the room, you know what I'm talking about? When you're trying to praise the Lord and you have heels on, you have to do that like heel shout. It's like the heel jump where you can't really jump jump but you can heel jump just a little bit of jump. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I was, yeah, I see, I see that hand, uh-huh. And so there was, that moment was happening to me where I was feeling that conflict and so I'm like watch, just take my shoes off. But here's the problem. I knew I had these socks on that were a little more worn at the bottom. And I just was equating, I was doing the math in my head, and I'm like, I have about two up and backs on this platform until a hole appears in this sock. And all I need is for this camera person to come over and get the hole in this sock while I'm jumping. And y'all are laughing, but so many of y'all missed the moment last week because of the same thing. Because you were concerned with what other people in the room would think about you. So many of us are missing moments of breakthrough and moments of joy because of the fear of man in our life. Watch. Because of pride. It's causing us to miss breakthroughs. The prophetic word that was released here was that there would be dancing that would happen from the conference through the end of the year that God was going to meet us in joy. So There's all these moments happening where we have an opportunity to partner with what God is saying and to meet him in this place and we just, because we don't want to take our shoes off, because we don't want to get undignified, because we don't want anybody to see us dancing, looking crazy, and the thing is, most of y'all are white so you don't have rhythm, and so you're really conflicted when we're dancing. It's okay. I see you. I've seen. And it brings the rest of us great joy to watch you dance in the presence of God. But how many God encounters have we missed because of pride? How many moments of breakthrough have you missed in your marriage because of pride? How many moments of healing have you missed because of pride? You're not bad, you love God, you love his presence, but you need to understand that pride will keep you from the things you love. That's what it does. And You you can't entertain pride in your life and expect results that are reserved for humility. So you, you're entertaining that pride, but you want the grace that he says is for the humble. You want him to lean towards you in your pride in your marriage. You won't say I'm sorry, you won't repent in your marriage, but you want God to bless it and you want great unity and you want you guys to move in the fullness of what you're called to. You can't entertain pride and expect the results that are reserved for humility. It doesn't work like that. We have to choose humility in our lives. Pride is one of the greatest enemies of intimacy, but humility makes intimacy easy. Pride destroys families and friendships and God-ordained relationships, but humility preserves them. Pride steals reconciliation, but humility prepares the way for reconciliation. Pride is the keeper of distance and offense, but humility closes the distance and causes offense to melt like wax. Pride destroys moves of God, but God is attracted to humility. Pride requires the credit, expects the glory, and demands the honor, but humility takes joy in God getting everything that he's worthy of, even if no one gets the credit. I remember this moment when I first moved here and I shared the vision of Axel with somebody. I was telling them about this, what God has shown me about this movement of creatives in the earth and these gatherings and what he wanted to do and I was so excited. And then like two weeks later, this person went and started the exact same thing. And it really felt like she stole the vision that I shared with her. And I'm gonna be honest, I was irritated. I was mad about it. I'm all like, Lord, shut it down in the name of Jesus. You know, like, I, I, needed, I needed help, you know. I was struggling. And, uh, and so, I was mad. And I went to the Lord, and I'm asking him about it. I said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he says, I want you to go serve it like it's yours. And I was like, well, that can't be the Lord. Let me pray in the spirit again. You know, And, uh, but he said, I want you to go serve it like it was yours. And then he told me, Jasmine, you have to be okay with me moving in the earth, even if your name is not on it. He said, You were okay with this vision and excited about it as long as you would get credit for it. Jesus, amen. But he was trying to teach me something, and I want us to catch the same concept, that even in this house, as we pursue the presence of God, it can never be that the move of God has to have our name on it. We must understand that what he's doing is so much bigger than us. And if we really care about the move of God, we have to be happy about it if somebody else gets credit, if somebody else's name is on it, that we celebrate it the same, that we serve it the same, even if it's not yours. And let's go back to the main text. Worship team, you guys can join me. Uh, in this passage, it's Luke 23 through 32 and 43, or 20, Luke 23 verses 32 through 43. And in this passage, We see Jesus, and he is the ultimate demonstration, the ultimate picture of humility. And we're seeing it happen. He's being brought to the cross. And Philippians 2, verse 8 says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus stooped to our level of humanity the measure that was needed. It says that he was publicly stripped bare and beaten, spit on, whipped, and lifted up, publicly humiliated by choice. They thought that they took life from him. They thought they humiliated him, but the plot twist is that he chose. He humbled himself. And so here he is being crucified with two criminals. Both of these men seem to have heard the same things about Jesus. They were both in the same position, but chose two different responses. One responded in pride. In verse 39, it says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. This man was scoffing at Jesus. He was saying, prove yourself. Who do you think you are? He was saying, we're in the same position. You're no different than me. was pride speaking. And the other one responded in humility. Luke 23:40 it says, but the other criminal protested saying, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What I love about it is that this man recognized his wrong. What he was doing was comparing himself to Jesus. He was saying, I'm a criminal, but you've done nothing wrong. I see who I am, but look at who you are, Jesus. He was comparing himself. To Jesus, he was able to see clearly. And I want you to just see that their different responses warranted different outcomes. The one who responded in pride was humbled. Being humbled means you lose your opportunity to choose humility, humility was chosen for him. Philippians 2 10 says that every knee will bow. He had an opportunity in that moment to humble himself, not knowing that there would be a day anyway that he would be humbled before Jesus, before the King of glory. He was humbled, his posture was chosen for him. But it says that Jesus' response. To the one who humbled himself was a promise that they'd be together in paradise. Hear this, it was a promise of his presence. The word says that he gives grace to the humble. It means Jesus in that moment even was drawn to his humility. That Jesus leaned towards him and in a moment made a way for him to stay in the presence of God forever. Even though he lived a life of sin and pride, one moment of humility changed everything for him. And what I came to tell you today, what I want you to hear, if you didn't hear anything else today, you can either humble yourself or be humbled. The only difference between these two criminals was their choice, was their decision. Over and over again in the word of God, Paul says humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. He's saying uh, there's a responsibility that we carry to choose humility ourselves. It's an instruction, something that we've been given to do. We were made for the garden. We were made for intimacy with God. We were made to be gently held and secure in the hands of the one who could crush us. And we can either choose to humble ourselves under that hand or set ourselves up as an enemy to that hand. The beautiful thing is that when we choose to humble ourselves, He leans towards us. I know we've been talking a lot about pride and what happens when we operate in pride and the way God opposes us in pride and how we don't want to we don't want him to oppose us. We don't want to be an enemy of God. And I and that's really important that you catch, but I really need you to understand that the point of this is not just that pride causes God to oppose you. The real point, the real treat, the reason we're here, the reason this word has to happen today is because you have to understand that humility causes God to lean towards you it's just about his presence. We're not obsessed with just the fear that pride makes him oppose us. We're obsessed with the desire to be in his presence, the desire to be with him. And if he's saying the way to get him to lean towards us is humility, then why not pursue it with everything in us? If it's the only way in. If it's the way that gets him to gaze at us, to look at us, why not pursue it with everything inside of us? Why not make war against pride in our lives if we know that humility is the way in? Humility makes it easy to get into the presence of God, and everything is easy in his presence.